The cyber landscape is constantly evolving, creating new challenges and opportunities to defend against sophisticated attacks. At Northrop Grumman, we provide a wide range of capabilities to stay ahead of these threats. To learn more, visit northropgrumman.com backslash cyber. Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Reports Weekly Cyber Report, sponsored by Northrop Grumman. I'm your host, Vago Maradian. NATO, as well as America's allies, agreed to join Washington to expose the malicious nature of China's cyberspace activities worldwide. This coming as Washington and its allies have been left reeling from a record streak of ransomware attacks, many of them emanating from Russian criminal gangs. Then there is the blockbuster story by 16 news organizations that maintain governments worldwide have been using spyware developed by the Israeli company NSO Group to spy on government leaders as well as journalists, including the slain Washington Post commentator Jamal Khashoggi, who was murdered, dismembered, and disposed of at the Saudi consulate in Istanbul. Joining us today is Chris Painter, a man who needs no introduction in cyber circles. He is a pioneer cyber criminal prosecutor, uh, was America's first chief cyber diplomat during the Obama administration, and he's now affiliated with a vast assortment of uh, organizations trying to do the global public good, including the Global Commission on the Stability of Cyberspace. Also the co-host of the Inside Cyber Diplomacy podcast uh, that he puts together each week with Jim Lewis of the Center for Strategic and International Studies, who's a uh, frequent uh, guest on this show and a friend of the show. Chris, thanks very much for joining us. Happy to be here with you. And before we get started, our daily podcast is sponsored by Bell. Leonardo DRS sponsors our global coverage. Fincantieri Marinette Marine sponsors our coverage of naval warfare. General Atomics Aeronautical Systems sponsors our coverage of strategy. And General Motors Defense sponsors our technology coverage. Chris, you know, and we're in an extraordinary uh, period. Uh, you know, you've spent the last 25 or more years sort of uh, engrossed in uh, the, the cyber world, uh, you know, predicting many of the things that we're coping with. Uh, now, including working to try to address them, including getting to uh, global norms and, and standards, which uh, there's an increasing call for. From, from your standpoint, what do we need to bear in mind as the United States and its allies work more closely, uh, not just to try to address uh, Russia's bad behavior, but especially China's bad behavior, which has been uh, pretty extreme, as we saw with the hafnium uh, intrusions. Uh, Russia had uh, solar winds, obviously, those were chalked up as intelligence operations. But then there's uh, the ransomware attacks. And I want to get to that in a minute, because I know that you wrote um, a thoughtful uh, report uh, recently on that. Talk to us about how the United States, with this new cyber leadership and this new administration, needs to approach uh, this challenge. Well, I think the, the one thing that's obviously clear from all this activity in just a short period of time is that this issue isn't going away, that we are obviously as a society, as an economy, as a country, uh, even as a military, incredibly dependent on cyberspace, on, uh, on technology, on computer networks. And while that's good for many reasons, it also creates vulnerability. And we've seen that vulnerability again and again uh, exploited by both uh, nation states and criminal attackers, and sometimes a mix of both. So, so, you know, one of the, the issues I've always had, and as you said, I've been doing this in various capacities for about 30 years, is that I don't think we've ever, until recently, given this the priority that it deserves uh, because of the widespread uh, impacts it could have on our economies and our, and our governments, uh, until, until, as I said, fairly recently. I think, obviously, 
There was attention during the Obama administration. There were some good people doing work during the Trump administration, although Trump himself never really prioritized this. Uh, but you know, the difference I see now, and this is really what we need, is uh, the administration, the president coming in and saying, this really is a no kidding national security issue. And that's the way we need to treat it. We can't treat it as a boutique uh, technical issue. Of course, the technical parts of it are important, but this is something we need to mainstream as a national security and economic security issue. Uh, and so first and foremost, I think that's the foundation for us going forward. Uh, that's something, by the way, we recommended in this ransomware task force report we'll talk about in a few minutes as well, transforming that from thinking about it as a criminal activity to a national security activity. Uh, so so that's the that's platform. That's only the beginning. And then you have to take real affirmative actions. Now, uh, you know, I'd say part of this, we have to understand this is going to be here to stay. And we need to do all we can to push back on these, these countries who are uh, where malicious conduct is coming from, either sponsored by them or where they turn a blind eye to that conduct and make sure we make it costly for them to do it and that they don't do it again and we send a clear message. Part of that is using the tools in our arsenal, everything from economic sanctions to even potentially um, you know, cyber military um, uh, uh, activity, but, uh, but also it's, it's diplomacy. And I think one thing that this last week or just those last couple of days uh, illustrates is how important it is for the US to act together with our partners and allies around the world. The fact that, as you said in the opening, we've got NATO who never, this is unprecedented, NATO has never joined in the kind of, this kind of attribution of a cyber event before. We had many, we had the EU, we had many countries individually, the Five Eyes and others joining in this attribution. That's, that's pretty good. That, that's not the end of the game. You gotta do more than just call and name and shame China or Russia uh, to get any change in action. But that, that kind of building those alliances is consistent with this idea that we are gonna return to a more multilateral approach, but at the same time, we need to build our own capabilities. So, so I guess my takeaway is, look, obviously things have gotten worse. Uh, they keep getting worse. The, ha the hackers, uh, whether they're criminals or nation states are getting more sophisticated. Uh, but one, you know, one bright light in this, one glimmer of hope is that now the general public cares about it. You know, the, one of the phrases I hate, no, no, no aspersions on the, uh, on, on the uh, podcast media or the media generally, is when someone uses the phrase, wake up call. You know, this is a wake up call. We've had like 30 wake up calls over the last 10 years right. and people just go right back to sleep again. You know, we've had lots of big incidents. But the difference this last time is when people had to line up for gas, the Colonial Pipelines uh, hack, the ransomware attack, or when they have to, and they might not be able to get food because of the JB uh, packing uh, uh, ransomware attack, or where police systems like in, in DC were compromised, or in Ireland where a hospital is compromised, that really strikes home. And I think we've turned the corner, I hope at least, where now this is seen as the issue we need to see it as, something that we need to, you know, not just a quick fix, but a sustained effort to deal with. Um, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I am uh, very uh, skeptical, you know, as you said, these, these wake-up calls, right? I mean, I, I remember some of the wake-up calls happening during the Bush administration and why the administration at that time wanted to spend an unprecedented $5 billion, uh, I remember, on cybersecurity. And there were people, uh, you know, who were complaining about it, about it then. Um, well, that, that, was the, the, that was the so-called Comprehensive National Cyber Initiative, which I was part of back then, too. And it wasn't really comprehensive. I mean, it, it focused on some issues we needed to do, but obviously it wasn't enough. Uh, and, and to be really comprehensive, you have to look at everything, including your international partnerships and how you deal with industry as well. The, the question I have is, in some respects, right, 
has has not worked. We're, we're beginning to recognize that standards matter, right? Because at the time, uh, critics of all of this was, oh, you know, uh, big government overreach. And, you know, I've looked at it as fire security standards, right? I mean, you need certain minimums uh, and you need to keep adapting to them uh, ultimately because, you know, other, and absent standards, companies aren't going to spend the amount of money that's required, right? Why did the banking industry do it? Because they were losing a lot of money. And, yeah. and so once they decided, like, wait a minute, th this is a discriminator, we're going to improve our, our security. And we saw quantum fold uh, increase in both investment thinking and, and security. Red lines matter if they're enforced. Yeah. And there is a concern that the president may have delivered messages in red lines, but it's not abundantly clear whether either Russia or China particularly cared if they care if they're named and shamed, right? So what's the tooth part of this, because we're doing the dialogue part, we're doing the engagement part, we're bringing allies together. What's the tooth part of this that gets the attention of folks in Beijing, uh, in Moscow, Pyongyang or Tehran or anywhere else? Yeah, I mean, that, that's a good question. And I think you need the tooth part. You need, you know, one of the things we have not been good at as a country, you know, not certainly not good under President Trump, especially with respect to Russia, when he doubted that Russia was even responsible or a bad actor. Uh, not good really under Obama after the election interference and, and you know, something we have to change and our allies and partners haven't been good either is really holding these transgressors to account. And so, you know, we we've done, made some progress in what are the rules in the road in cyberspace. Even China and, and Russia have agreed to certain rules of the road, like don't attack critical infrastructure during peacetime. Don't, uh, you know, during wartime, their rules are different, but the international uh, or uh, humanitarian law and other things like that. But uh, you know, don't do that. Don't go after the certs. Don't, you know, if malicious conduct is coming from your territory, you have a, you know, an expectation that you're going to take action against it. Those things have been agreed to, but then when those things happen, which they continually seem to happen, there's no real cost for the transgressor. Now, you know, those costs can take a lot of different forms, but what we haven't been is strategic, uh, you know, long-term, like it's not a light switch, but really thinking about how we affect behavior over a period of time, look at what's going to actually change the behavior of, of, the, uh, of the attackers or the, the people who are allowing malicious stuff to happen and, and hitting those things and working with our allies and partners to do it. Now, yeah, we have had some economic sanctions in the past. I'd say they haven't been strategic or long-lasting, haven't gone after things. For instance, Putin cares about his own money. Putin cares about his cronies' money and investments. We haven't really gone after those. Um, that might be something we want to do. We might want to expose corruption. He cares about you know, that image. Um, China is a little more sensitive. They do care about their public image to some extent. You know, back in the Obama administration, we made progress with them on the theft of intellectual property, as you remember, is a big issue. And I was part of the team. At first, I, I ran our China-US working group until it was put on hold after we uh, uh, charged a number of their PLA uh, representatives as being part of this. But you know, after a year and a half of pressure and Obama and Biden and others saying this is a big issue, not just a cyber issue, they came to the table and agreed that no country should do this. And for a while, for like a year and a half, they actually it was actually a diminution in that behavior. Um, so there are ways to put pressure on both these countries, different levers, I think, for each that will, that will resonate. We've got to be willing to do that. And you're quite right. We can't draw a red line and then not enforce it because then that's a clear signal that Everything, anything goes. You know, if I'm if I'm Putin, and I'm getting what I perceive as a benefit, and to him a benefit is just causing confusion and, and chaos in the West, um, and I don't pay any costs. Why not? So we have to change that calculus. 
uh, and we have to we have to go that next step. So so I, I do think that's an important part of it. Absolutely. What, if you were the one advising on what the specific next steps would be, what would those specific next steps be? Well, I, I think, you know, I, I do think that they've done the right thing. So, you, you know, this is not again, you don't have to do this overnight. They put Russia on notice. You know, Biden was very clear, not just at the summit, but like, you know, a couple of weeks later in a phone call that just happened last week where he said, no, no kidding. This is a problem. This continues to happen. You know, if you're not going to take action, we will. So here's kind of the things you could do. Um, you could do things that go after him and his cronies. They're going to affect his behavior to, you know, exert some pressure on him. And you know, there are economic tools, but we haven't completely used that. We can, we can go after uh, not just sanctions, but other economic tools. Uh, you could think about other law enforcement tools, collective pressure by other countries. Uh, you know, the, we could also look at you know Russia's oil and gas market, which is really their life's blood, and and how you might. Um, uh, use economic sanctions and things on that. I mean, there's a range of things we can do there. You know, we could also, um, uh, so one way is to try to like get him to, to see it's in his best interest because Putin will only act if it's in his best interest, basically. And that either means he's avoiding pain that he doesn't want to have or he sees a benefit in it. Now, with these cyber groups, these the, the ransomware groups, the interesting thing is there, they apparently are not state-sponsored. Now, when I was a prosecutor, we never had great cooperation with Russia on cybercrime cases. I used to chair the G8's high-tech crime group when Russia was in the, the G8, now it's the G7. And we never had great cooperation. And that was because some of the criminals acted with the express consent and even being dr driven by the state. Some of them, there was corruption involved, so they were paying people off. And in some of them, the state just didn't care because as long as they weren't attacking Russian targets, they didn't care. So this group, these groups look like they're in that third category. And if that's true, it's no skin off Putin's nose to actually do something about it. And so I think there's a glimmer of a chance he will. But if he doesn't, we have to do what I talked about to try to change his behavior. And then we also have to go after the groups themselves. And, and that, you know, there's a range of things you can do. You can disrupt some of the cryptocurrency that was done by our Department of Justice a few weeks ago. Uh, you can even explore using you know, some of the disruptive tools that Cyber Command has, you have to be very careful about how that's used and what circumstances you use that in, but that has to be an option. So I think there's a range of things we can do. And again, there's things our partners can do as well. Um, let me take you uh, to ransomware. Um, yeah, just, you, be, just before you do though, I, I, I think sure. you, know, you also have to look at the character events. So ransomware uh, is one thing, traditionally thought of that as criminal, but, but now I think really a national security issue. You know, the, the, the big solar winds event, appeared to be espionage. Now, there was some talk, maybe it was pre-positioning and things like that, Un unclear. Um, if it's espionage, you can still react. You don't have to sit on your hands and say, well, it's espionage. Yeah, everyone does espionage. True, but you can still react, just like we PNG diplomats in the real world and we, we take action in the real world. So we can still react, and I think there, there's room to do that there. What the Chinese um, exchange server hack you know, I think I and several people have pointed out uh, that, you know, that was in some ways even more egregious than solar winds, although it didn't really hit government agencies, because that caused really second order damage. It was done in such a reckless way, it left those victims open to ransomware actors and others who could further uh, victimize them. And so, you know, that, whether it's espionage or not, I think that's another one we can, we can find ways to hit back on. So you just have to look at the character of the incident and see what tools you're going to use. But you got to be ready and willing to use them because otherwise there's no credible um, deterrence, no credible threat when you say, look, do this or else. And if, you, if or else is nothing, you don't get anywhere. But, but I have to say, I am confident that 
you know, as I put it to someone uh, the other day, this is move one in the chess in a chess game. You know, this this doesn't mean we won't see those actions later on. This is you know, this calling out was foundational. Sorry, now you get a ransom. <laughs> no, 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 absolutely, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad you said it. And you're obviously talking about the Hafnium uh, attacks that came to light, right? Or, or just as we were reeling and trying to grapple with solar winds, then we actually find out that we were uh, hit by something that was actually bigger uh, and and more uh, widespread. And as you said, right, pretty indiscriminate and pretty clumsy. Um, what I find admirable is that neither Russia nor China appears to care uh, all that much about clumsiness, which I which I find well, yeah. either amusing or troubling, depending on how you look at it. Um, well, but, you know, the rule has always been if you can get away with the clumsy, uh, if you can get away with using you know not good tools, go ahead and only save the sophisticated tools with the harder targets. But but if it's clumsy and it's causing second order damage, that's dangerous. And so I think they have to care about that. Um, exactly. I mean, certainly not as precise as as the United States and and obviously some of its allies and partners, because we we are uh, still the best guys at at this game. You uh, were one of six commissioners uh, on an institute for technology uh, and security uh, ransomware study. Uh, and as we were doing the pre-talk before we got rolling, you know, whenever anybody does a, a report, no matter how thoughtful, there's a concern that it's going to just gather dust after it's yeah. uh, published, as you noted. Uh, and and uh, unfortunately, because of a sequence, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, uh, you, you know, there is a lot of attention that's being paid for it. Talk to us a little bit about the key findings when it comes uh, to ransomware. Uh, because I think you guys were trying to really get to some brass tacks here in terms of how to actually change the vector that we're on, right? Because there was a lot of debate whether or not the Revil guys or are evil or whatever the heck you yeah. want to call them, uh, right? Dmitry Alperovich, uh, John, uh, uh, John Co-Francesco of Fortress Information Security and Justin Sherman of the Atlantic Council and Wired Magazine were on last week. And Dmitry's point was, Mm, I, you know, $70 million is a, is, is a lot of money and a lot of money in rubles. They're on the Black Sea enjoying themselves as opposed to we're necessarily shut down. So, you know, we can get to the task force in a minute, but from your standpoint, what were the key takeaways of the of the commission's report that you participated in? So this is, this is a task force that was set up, a private task force that was set up back in January, and we operated, we released a report in, uh, in early April, and uh, so about a week before Colonial Pipelines hit. We had nothing to do with Colonial Pipelines, by the way, it just, it just ended up being a force multiplier. But it was about 60 people, everyone, you know, people, former government folks, people in the computer uh, security industry, a number and from a number of different companies, people from the computer insurance industry, uh, just a range of, of folks with, with diverse backgrounds that was very helpful. And we really attach it as a, a soup to nuts problem. There's various areas that you have to look at this uh, problem in. And you have to have, as I said earlier, a sustained response. This is not the flavor of the week. This is going to be with us for a while. So you have to think about a sustained campaign. And, and number one was raising this, what most people had considered, you mean ransomware has been around for a few years now, but most people considered it as a criminal issue, didn't pay as much attention to it, but as a core national security issue. And indeed that's what's happening these days. And that's what the, the it's coming out of the White House is they consider a national security issue. So that's number one, that's priority, that's raising it. So the attorney general is telling the FBI and telling uh, US attorney's office around the country, this is a priority, go after this. So DHS is saying, this is a priority. Uh, so, so that was number one. Two is organizationally, you know, set up a task force at the White House uh, to coordinate this, uh, you know, because 
uh, even though there's great actions on behalf of DHS and DOJ and others, you need an orchestra conductor. You need someone to move this along. Uh, set up a cell with industry who can work uh, on these issues with you. Uh, not maybe part of the government task force because that, that could be limiting, but have a, a cell that does that. Um, then, then look at the safe, you know, various aspects. So one is the safe haven issue. Uh, Russia is a classic example. They provide a safe haven to these criminals so they can act with impunity. So we have to go, go after that. And we talked about that in the last few minutes about how you can try to change the calculus where these criminals are so we can get to them or they can be gotten to by their own governments. Um, there are other countries where, you know, frankly, they want to help, but they just don't have the capability. You know, they don't have, uh, they, they haven't made it a priority. They don't have the capability. For them, you know, I think it's carrots rather than sticks. It's working with them, doing joint investigations, uh, having, uh, doing capacity building. One of the things I do these days is I'm president of a foundation that, that does global capacity building coordination, has many countries and private sector and civil society part of it. That's a critical need is to do capacity building around the world so we don't have this weakest link problem. So that's part of it. And then we look at other aspects. How do you disrupt these groups? How do you, you know, how cryptocurrency is the means that, that, uh, that a lot of these groups use. So you know, we're not saying ban cryptocurrency, but we're saying, why don't we enforce the existing regulations like know your customer, et cetera, on cryptocurrency, you know, be more aggressive there. Uh, we talk about how victims can prepare better so they don't have to pay the ransom, that we can give them resources so that they can deal with these issues. That, that's important. Uh, you know, so it's like a deterrence, defend, uh, respond uh, a mantra of how we go through all of this. And then you know, the one thing, frankly, that we could, not, um, we could not come to agreement on is a pretty hot issue, which is should you ban uh, ransomware payments? Should you make it illegal for, for victims to pay that? Uh, and you know, I think we, we said, yeah, I mean, this is done. The reason these groups are doing it is for money. If you ban the payments, it's going to be harder for them to operate. On the other hand, you also end up victimizing the victims. The, you know, and some people think the short-term pain is worth it, but the short-term pain falls on you know, not the big businesses who can afford it, but the you know, small and medium-sized businesses, the hospitals and healthcare providers, uh, the small municipalities who are often victims of ransomware. So what we ended up is saying, look, you got to take a number of steps to give victims those resources so they can reconstitute, uh, to backstop them, to give them alternatives to paying ransom. Uh, a lot of victims don't even know they have alternatives, so we need to make that clear to them. Um, and then, you know, uh, uh, make them report it. Make victims report when they pay ransomware so the government has a better idea and they can work to interdict these groups. Now, interestingly, on the Hill just today, there's a story of a more broader bill to uh, force reporting for critical infrastructure of, um, uh, of, of not just ransomware incidents, but major cyber incidents. And I got to tell you, we've been talking about a reporting law at the federal level for 20 freaking years now. So it's great right. that we're finally getting there and maybe this crisis is pushing it along. So, so really a range of different activities, everything from hardening the targets, better security, which is always a tough issue that, that, uh, that potential victims and the government can take to how we go after the groups. And, and, you know, I think, as you said, we were concerned about this. I'm always concerned about these things becoming shelfware, you know, as we say, you know, that someone puts on a shelf and never looks at it again. But, you know, we launched it, uh, Ali Mayorkas, the uh, uh, um, head of Homeland Security, uh, gave a little speech when we launched it. A week later, Colonial Pipelines happened, and it's right. gotten a lot of uptake, not just by the U.S. government, but by a lot of governments around the world. And that's great. And I think we're committed to continue to work on this uh, to make sure that those recommendations or others get implemented. 
Um, our, our time is running short, and, and um, I've got to ask uh, a deeper question about the NSO uh, incident. But first, uh, the administration is launching, the White House has, or it plans to launch, or has been reported as interested in launching a task force on, on ransomware, Chris, as you know. We, we don't have a lot of uh, details, uh, unless uh, you and I are both missing something. What's the approach the administration has to take, and what's the urgency with which they're going to have to work, right? Because I think we have all the answers, don't we? I mean, are, are we going to be, is look, this a political I, thing or, 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 you know, or. No, I, look, I can't, you know, I, I, I'm outside of government now, so I can say whatever I want, but I'm actually very complimentary of the administration. They are, uh, they're doing the right things, you know, whether they've announced a task force or not, they really have an interagency process working. They are, they're doing the orchestration from the white house that I think needs to be done. The agencies are all prioritizing this. You know, Ali Mayorkas talked about a 60-day sprint on ransomware at DHS. There is an internal task force at, at DOJ that's been launched. The Treasury is looking at tools and sanctions, other things. I mean, I, it's amazing to me. Ransomware has risen from being kind of on the back burner to being the main topic at the G7, or one of the main topics of the G7 at NATO and the Putin summit, plus the government is pulling in the right direction. So you know, I think that coupled with something that I'm really happy about, a lot of the people in government are not strangers to this issue. I mean, you have high-level positions that have been created, like Ann Newberger, the Deputy National Security Advisor, Chris English, that's the new uh, National uh, Cyber Director, uh, Ali Mirakis, that's the Head of Homeland Security, who's dealt with these issues before, Tony Blinken over at State, who's dealt with these issues before, Jake Sullivan as the National Security Advisor, who dealt with these issues in the Obama administration. So they're not being spoon-fed these issues. They get it. And I do think they're moving out. Now, as I said, you know, this is going to be a process. It's going to take time and they're going to have to look at the various options and, and use them going forward. So, but I, I have pretty high confidence that they're going to do that. Uh, so even if they haven't announced the task force, I think the task force is really there. Very briefly, there are a lot of folks who maintain that it's CISA that has to be the focal point of this, whereas others maintain that that's not the case. Admiral Mike Rogers, uh, retired Admiral Mike Rogers was on and was saying, look, this is not all about CISA. What's the role of CISA in this? And what's the broader role of the administration in this? And very quickly want to get your sense on NSO before we wrap. Sure. Look, CISA has a critical role. They have to be a big player in this. And, and they have, you know, the, building their capabilities. And I think under the strong leadership of, of Jen Easterly, that's great. Uh, you also have Rob Silvers over in their policy shop, and as I said, Valley Marcus and others. So, so I think they play a critical role in this, particularly working with the private sector. But other agencies have a, a role too. DOJ has a critical role in this. The intelligence agencies have a role in this. DOD has a role in this. You know, as we look at cyber, it's not one agency's job. And so, melding that all together—that's the orchestra leader position of the White House, which you know now two leaders really at the White House to bring this together, so we're all moving at the same. You know, to the same end. And part of that also is my old, uh, one of my old agencies, the State Department, the diplomacy job, you know, as is illustrated this last week, is critically important to get allies and partners uh, together to act in a collective way. Last question, NSO. Uh, obviously, uh, spyware is, is not new. Um, there have been uh, stories, uh, obviously, surrounding uh, the really great technology that this Israeli company has. It maintains it's done nothing wrong. Uh, ultimately, but it does raise a whole series of vexing uh, questions. From your standpoint, what's the, you know what's the role for export control on this? What I mean, what, how do we need to be thinking about this uh, challenge? Aside from the fact it's like, oh, I'm shocked there's gambling going on. Oh, I'm shocked there's cyberware be you know spyware being used. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, the, this is true for cyber more generally. Is that 
the cyber tools are often not either good or bad. It's how they're used. They're dual use technology. That's why when people talk about the cyber arms control treaty, it doesn't make any sense. But this, this is a really good example of, of these tools being abused in ways that you know, I don't think we can, we can endorse or permit. And so the problem is how do you go after that? And so we did try using the Vassinar uh, export control tools a few years ago, and there was a pretty big outcry by a lot of US industry that felt that those regulations were too vague, that they would you know, end up going after computer security researchers. Yeah, that's a fair point. We don't wanna do that. We don't wanna go after legitimate uses, but we've gotta get better and, and trying to curb these other uses because what will happen is it will be used by repressive regimes and there's a hell of a lot of them out there uh, to, um, to go after their own citizens that will be used. Uh, you know, Some of these tools will be used even to attack us, which is something that we don't want. So. This is another issue that I think we need to spend some time uh, at a policy level. The White House and others need to think about. I think other countries need to think about because this is not just a U.S. problem or a U.S.-Israeli problem. These these kinds of companies are uh, all over the world. Um, so it, it, you know, I, I I do I'm really concerned about. it. I do think it's a worry because I, I you know I think this is not and the stories we've heard the last couple of days I don't think are isolated incidents. Chris. Thanks very much for joining us. Always a pleasure uh, talking to you. You're welcome on uh, anytime. Thanks so very much. Yeah, happy to be with you. And uh, thanks a lot. Everyone is a contributor at Northrop Grumman. And every day is an opportunity to help defend our nation and our allies. Visit our careers page at ngc.com to learn about joining the Cyber and Intelligence Mission Solutions team.